Has gay pride gone too far? Got that for you tonight? Obon Festival is going on in Malaysia, no matter what the morons say. We'll have all that and a lot more coming up tonight on the show. Right off the top, I don't know what's going on. It happened just as... I always hit the button to go live two minutes beforehand, so my pre-roll goes on. We get all set. Everything's all good to go. And uh, the first two are, of course, Twitch.tv and Facebook, where we are live right now. But YouTube and Rumble.com are part of a multi-stream service. For some reason, and there was an update to my software just before I went on tonight, For some reason, the multi-stream software isn't working. So sadly, I'm sorry, I am not on YouTube and I'm not on Rumble, but we will put this show up as the video replay. As soon as we're done, we'll get it uploaded to both channels so you can see it. My apologies, we're not live there. We were scheduled to be live. Sadly, we're not. So I don't know what the hell's going on, but uh, OBS, you're going to owe me an explanation. All right, uh, enough of this crap, because I'm really tired of dealing with it. And yeah, so we'll just close that. We'll close that. Uh, Like I said, sorry, YouTube audience. Sorry, Rumble audience. But we're live on Facebook and Twitch.tv tonight. So welcome in. Hello, welcome to the show. And uh, yeah, we're going to talk about all that kind of stuff coming up tonight. First, we're going to talk about this amazing little uh, lady here. Miko update. It's as usual, our Miko update. Our little Shiba Inu is doing well. Uh, she got a, another one of those big toothbrush bones tonight after dinner, and so she's protecting it with her life. Uh, she she doesn't eat it right away. She just carries it around like a prize, and then uh, eventually she will eat it. Last night, too, was so cute. She has this little squeaky duck, and it's one of her favorite toys. And when it was time to go to bed, she brought the duck up into bed. She's doing this mother thing because as if you listen to our previous shows, you know, she's in the middle of a fake pregnancy. It happens with dogs. They go through their cycles and then sometimes they have a, what's called a phantom pregnancy. She's having one. It's lasting a little longer than I thought it would, but she's showing all the signs of being pregnant. Boy, look at the bots. They are going crazy tonight. Uh, that's got to be a Twitch, as usual. Twitch is full of nothing but bots. I don't even know why, but uh, Twitch is kind of a waste of time, but we go over there because it's the anchor for our software, so we have no choice. Couldn't care less. Bots, knock yourself out. My audience is not so stupid. They're going to listen to anything you say or click on anything you put in the chat. So try your damnedest. Go ahead. We don't care. Uh, yeah, so anyway, she's doing well, she's doing great, and uh, other than her fake pregnancy, which is making her very motherly lately, uh, she's uh, otherwise doing really good. Ah, <laughs> uh, Miko, what would the day be without her? All right, June, if you didn't know, is Pride Month, and I don't know how you couldn't know, because anything and everything, and any corporation and every corporation has somehow added a rainbow flag to their logos. Uh, We'll talk about that and show you some examples of the absurdity of it. 
coming up. But what I thought I would do, at least uh, to begin, is to, okay, that's not what you want to see. This is what you want to see. <laughs> The links to all of these are in our show notes tonight, so do check it out. It's the description down below is our show notes. But this is from them.us, and uh, it's a history of Pride Month and a history of pride, the meaning, the future, uh, some very old photographs that go back into the 60s and 70s. Around the world, pride celebrations, gay pride, uh, have taken a variety of forms, from parades to parties, protests, proms, since the start of the modern LGBT movement. And by the way, I know it's LGBT, A, B, C, D, E, F, G, Z, A, Q, X, Y, P, N, O, plus, minus, divided by who the hell cares. I've been around a long time in this business, and I'm telling you, you just keep adding stupid letters to this ridiculous thing, and it just gets so muddied and so blur, people just don't give a crap anymore. You want to be proud? Be proud. Want to be proud of who you are? Be proud of who you are, and everybody should. But this is part of my stand on this thing, and why I called the show Has Gay Pride Gone Too Far? This plus minus and the rainbow flag, which has now turned into just about every kind of stripe and color, just so we're all inclusive and all this other crap. You're just, you're making a mockery, in my opinion. You're making a mockery. Anyway, the modern, uh, L I, for now I'm going to refer to it as LGBT because that's what it has been referred to for the most part, except for the last few years where they started screwing everything around. Uh, in the 70s, hundreds of independent pride events sprung up in cities around the world, uh, each one local and generally tied in with some way to the foundational Stonewall riots in June. Uh, 50 years of pride celebrations. These events have become so varied, you can usually find ways to celebrate that feels best to you, whether it's the raucous jubilation of the ridiculous New York City Pride Parade, uh, community forums, the LGBT Center in uh, San Francisco, or the massive crowds uh, who attend World Pride in a different city every couple of years. But it all started right here at that bar in uh, at Stonewall. The Stonewall riots were not actually the first time that LGBT people stood up against police harassment. Before Stonewall, there was a riot in Los Angeles at Cooper Donuts and in San Francisco at Compton's Cafeteria. But Stonewall is perhaps the best known and led to the creation of what is known today as the modern pride movement. Started with a police raid on a hot summer night in Greenwich Village, cops stormed the Stonewall Inn and arrested patrons, forcing them into waiting police vehicles. Crowds nearby grew restless and angry, and eventually someone, there is a debate over who, started whipping onlookers into fighting back. They finally pelted the police, forcing homophobic cops to retreat, and aggressive street confrontations continued over the next few, right, uh, few nights. It is what is generally considered to be the first time that people stood up for their rights and said, no more. And uh, since then, it has been celebrated in the month of June. Had a lot of discussion. I, look, I'm mostly a conservative. I, I, I'm, I, you know, 
I, I lean to the right quite heavily, okay? And most people know that. If you follow me on Twitter, by the way, you'll certainly know that. Uh, it's at it's Jay Sheldon, I-T-S-J Sheldon. If you want to follow me on Twitter, please do. And uh, anyway, I saw a lot of, of, of comments and things about uh, they've, they've gone too far. Uh, when is straight Pride Month? And the usual answer to that is just be thankful you don't need one. Um, anyway, these, uh, these articles go on. There's some really, really great articles, uh, in my show notes tonight about pride and the history of pride and, uh, how it all began and, uh, how it, uh, how it developed into what it is today. Uh, this is from the history channel, history.com and, um, the gay rights movement in the U.S. seen huge progress in the last century, especially the last two decades. Uh, laws prohibiting homosexual activities have been struck down. Lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender individuals can now serve openly in the military. And same-sex couples can now legally get married and adopt children in all 50 states in the U.S. And not only in the U.S., across most civilized and forward-thinking countries. Um, it wasn't always that way. Sadly, and it took a, a very long time for uh, rights to finally make it into, uh, into the mainstream and people to realize that uh, uh, gay and lesbian people, transgender people are not out to steal your children or out to convert you, uh, just basically want to be left alone to live life the way they choose to live their life. And why shouldn't they? However, has it gone too far? It's a good question. One that deserves at least to be discussed, if not definitively answered. Uh, there was a uh, acecomments.mu.nu. Uh, again, the link's in our show notes. You really should check this out because it, it's a really good example, of including some great memes. Uh, and you'll see, again, if you're listening to our podcast, check out the visuals. They're in our show notes. Uh, this is the morning rant. Woke corporations are not showing their rainbow pride in the Middle East. And uh, this is a great meme. I saw this. Me with a giant tuba stuck over my head. Uh, woke corporations playing the tuba and the tuba smashed into my face, which is there to represent uh, Pride Month. Uh, anyway, happy Pride Month, everybody. You've noticed that everything is suddenly rainbow-hued for the month of June. Uh, pretty much every institution demanding that you celebrate the rainbow of sexual lifestyles. Uh, okay, I have a little problem with people calling it a lifestyle, uh, as if it were a choice, which obviously it is not. And if you think that, you're an idiot. Uh, and you probably ought to at least try and come up into maybe this century. Um, the writer says, by the way, I have gay family members and a few good friends that are gay. I choose to celebrate them, their friendships, their talents, and even their loving relationships. I don't choose to celebrate their sexual orientation. Okay, that virtually makes no sense, but we'll just go with that. Uh, for those trying to keep virtual signaling uh, current, they've suddenly been put in a tough spot. Uh, they, if they haven't already replaced the Ukraine flag with the rainbow flag in their social media avatars, uh, I can only assume that they must be anti-LGBT bigots. Uh, anyway, so this guy does a great job because what he's done here to prove or to show how 
corporations who claim to be so woke really ain't. It is a marketing gimmick. They don't really give a crap about you. Uh, They are virtue signaling. And this is the best example of exactly that. These are some of the corporations that in the U.S. have changed their logo. This is Volkswagen, Mercedes-Benz, all took their logo and made a rainbow flag out of it. Uh, Here's BMW with all kinds of rainbows across Mexico, South Africa, the U.S., uh, India, the U.K. You notice something here? Here's HSBC Bank in the U.S., in India. You notice the difference? The logos in the Middle Eastern countries are not changed. HSBC, BMW, Mercedes, Volkswagen. The whole idea behind pride is the ability to be yourself and to be proud of who you are. Being proud means being proud wherever you are. And it takes some balls sometimes. Obviously, these woke corporations haven't got that. Because when it comes to other countries where gay and lesbian people are not only outlawed, but in some cases thrown off of buildings and killed, or at the very least put in jail and tortured, They have their plain old normal logo, so as not to offend. That's not pride, woke corporations. That's kowtowing to a market, not pride. It'd be less offensive if global companies just abstain from the whole June LGBT celebration. If they're going to simultaneously accommodate the laws and regulations of Middle Eastern countries that criminalize homosexuality, By foregoing the rainbow in Middle Eastern countries, it's clear these companies endorse Middle Eastern countries' anti-LGBT policies. Why is that acceptable to activists? Time for woke corporations to either put up or shut up. Well said. While I disagree with the beginning of your article, I could not possibly agree more with exactly the way you wrapped it up, and I'm glad you put that in there. Check it out. The link is in our show notes tonight. And uh, one last thing, and something that is not helping at all, is part of, again, our headline tonight, Has Gay Pride Gone Too Far? This story has been all over the news in the U.S., as well it should be, because to me, it's an absolute disgrace. Look, I have no problem with drag shows. Honestly, I it's almost not a gay thing. It's men in dresses dressed up like women. It's a little panto. It's a little vaudevillian. It's a little crazy. It's funny as hell. And uh, But, you know, yes, okay, drag queens for the most part are gay men. Don't have to be, but certainly for the most part are. Uh, they're very funny. And they are usually extremely adult-oriented, usually held in adult nightclubs and bars, as was this one in Texas. But they put on a drag show for children. 
in a bar, which has an, a 21 and older age limit, specifically for children, in Texas of all places, with a big sign in the back that says, it's not going to lick itself. And here are, thankfully, the faces blocked out, kids at a drag show. It says here, I regret to inform you, Texas is at it again. It being absurd and melodramatic culture warmongering, of course. In the latest round, uh, Texas State Rep Brian Slayton is trying to ban minors from seeing drag queens in response to Dallas Bar's Drag the Kids to Pride event, which is billed as a family-friendly drag show. Drag shows, he says, are no place for a child. I would never take my children to a drag show, and I know Speaker Dade Phelan and my Republican colleagues wouldn't either. I'll be filing legislation to address the issue. The events of the past weekend were horrifying and show a disturbing trend in which perverted adults, (laughs) if you say so, uh, obsessed with sexualizing young children. Look, before you're going to organize these kind of things, think it through. Think about the headlines. Think about how this is reflecting. And it just isn't reflecting well. It's just stupid. Just, you know, I may just be an, an old conservative guy, but as much as I couldn't possibly be any more open-minded, a line was crossed here, I think. A line was crossed, and that's sad. And it's not doing anything to help Pride Month, sadly. There are still places and headlines like these. Azerbaijan, Armenia, Turkey are the most restrictive on gay rights in Europe the most restrictive lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender equality laws and policies in Europe. Uh, Azerbaijan scored just 3% on a scale where zero indicates gross human rights violations. And 100% is the greatest degree of equity under the law. Uh, Azerbaijan gained points in just three of the 69 individual categories. Turkey and Armenia were given 5 and 7%, respectively. And uh, there's no comparison to last year because of pandemics, things like that. Countries that ranked high on this year's list included Malta, Luxembourg, Finland. Uh, yeah, the ranking analyzed laws and policies governing LGBT matters across 49 European countries over the last year. And of course... We also have uh, wonderful headlines, and this goes back several years ago. But uh, nevertheless, it's still there. Malaysia. Yep, you didn't think you were going to escape my wrath, did you? Malaysia declares V-necks gay. Please. You know, I know everybody's heard this story. It's been around for years. Everyone's laughed at it. Everybody's said how stupid it is. But it's still there, and it still happened. Your deep V-necks aren't welcome here, Dove Charney. The Malaysian government has begun organizing seminars aimed at, aimed at helping parents and teachers 
identify latent homosexuality in children. One of the principal warning signs? V-neck t-shirts. I stuck the link to this absurdity in our show notes, so I encourage you to please check it out. Uh, This was actually the Teachers Foundation of Malaysia, believe it or not. Um, So they, they categorize lesbians as people who are attracted to women, who like to eat, sleep, and hang out in the company of other women, and who have no affection for men. Uh... Sleeveless clothes and V-necks in its list for men. Uh, And in a seminar in Penang, said not many people understood or knew the early symptoms of homosexuality, bisexuality, and transgender inclinations to prevent its spread. Liberal news portal Malaysian Insider reported. Among the other telltale signs, I know, if you're hearing this for the first time, try not to shake your head off its post. Big handbags, similar to those carried by women, wearing tight, light-colored clothes, and possessing a chiseled physique. So, I guess I'm pretty safe. Anyway. If you want a good laugh, please do read this article. It is in our show notes. It is hilarious. It is as hilarious as it is absurd. All right. Uh, Speaking of absurdities, we got another one for you. The big story this week. You know what a fan of Japan I am. I am one of the biggest Japanophiles on the planet. Um, I must have been Japanese in my former life. But we have had this uh, ridiculous story going around the news this week. And uh, this is the main headline that popped up. Uh, Selangor, which is the state that I live in, uh, says Bon Odori, a Japanese cultural event, uh, will confirm with Jais. Jais is the uh, Islamic council that rules over uh, people of that faith here. Um, Salangar has hosted the Bon Odori Festival for decades here. It is a huge event. I've been to a bunch of them when I first found out they were going on. I had no idea until a few years ago, and since then I've been every time, and I will be there again this year, no matter what. Uh, They viewed the event as a celebration of Japanese culture rather than religion, Uh, commenting on the religious affairs minister's advice for Muslims to avoid the event. uh, Amaruddin said he will nevertheless confirm the matter with the Selangor Islamic Religious Department, which is what Jais is. Uh, So I don't know if there are religious elements or not, but let's see and get the feedback from the authorities. This event is held in the beginning of August, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So yeah, uh, now just today... There were headlines saying that uh, one of the Islamic advisors uh, was encouraging Muslims not to go to the event. And then just later this evening, I saw a headline that the Sultan of Selangor has said, go. I'm okay with it. No problem. Go. And the Sultan's word is pretty much the last. So thank goodness at least in this case, we have somebody with a level head on their shoulders 
who sees uh, Bon Odori as simply a celebration of Japanese culture and uh, has a little faith. Good deal. So yes, Bon Odori will be held. I mean, it would have been held anyway. But uh, yeah, you can get all the links to those things in our in our show notes tonight. You can read the articles, check it out, see what uh, sort of strange and silly absurdities are uh, are going on here. What else have we got happening tonight? We got a couple more articles for you. We want to share before we uh, move on to our book. Oh yeah, we might as well show it to you now. Why not? Here you go, Bonadori coming up on the sixteenth on the sixteenth of February. That's next Saturday. A week from Saturday, right? Oh, my goodness. I guess I will be there then. (laughs) Yeah, there is the poster. And if you want, you can check it out at the Embassy of Japan in Malaysia, their Facebook page. You can get all uh, all the details on that there. So do check that out. Uh, Okay, cool. And that's also, by the way, I posted that on my Facebook page. So you can check it out there, too. Uh, right, we got two more things to go before we get on with our book. Hold on one quick second, and I will pop it up for you. Wait till you see this fish. I'm telling you. Science again. This is from BigThink.com. Scientists have found an ultra-black fish that absorbs 99.9% of light. Look at this thing. How would you like to run into that in the ocean? Well, to be honest, you can't because it is at such incredibly deep depths you'd never survive down there. In fact, no human would. I don't even know if there are, I think there are submersibles that can go that deep, but that's about it. But this ultra black fish has been photographed. That's an actual photograph of this monster doesn't show how big it is. I mean, I'll check in the article and see. But it is called ultra black because it absorbs 99.9% of the light that goes into it. So it's virtually invisible. Team of marine biologists use nets to catch 16 species of deep sea fish that have evolved the ability to be virtually invisible to prey and predators. Ultra-black skin seems to be an evolutionary adaption that helps fish camouflage in the deep sea, which is illuminated by bioluminescence organisms. Uh, Likely more potentially much darker, ultra-black fish lurking deep in the ocean. If you want more details about this, check out our uh, show notes tonight, but this is freaky. I'm going to have nightmares about this thing. That is scary stuff. I'm telling you. All right, I got one more, and it actually relates to our book. It's why I saved it for last, because uh, it's very cool. I'm so pleased this happened. I uh, I make fun of uh, any government from the U.S. to the U.K. to Azerbaijan to Malaysia to Singapore to Thailand, you name it. Uh, but... When they do something right, we give them a tip of the hat and say, good on you. And to our prime minister in Malaysia, good on you. This article comes up. It's from the Star. And boy, I'm telling you, it's so pleasing to see this kind of headline. Read books and you can change the world, says the prime minister. 
And there he is, uh, looking over some old books, browsing through the tomes at the KL International Book Fair 2022, a couple of days ago. A society that reads is a society that succeeds, according to Datuk Sri Ismail Sabri Yakup. In this regard, the reading culture must be inculcated continuously, said the Prime Minister, at the launch of the KL International Book Fair. He added that reading allows one to acquire knowledge and develop critical thinking. And uh, yeah, he says on his recent trip to Japan, I noticed that reading is a culture not only for the young, but also for the old. Uh, individuals like Bill Gates, well, Bill Gates, but uh, anyway, reads 50 books a year, which is about a book a week. Elon Musk spends 10 hours a day reading fiction to help his creativity. Books are a window to the world, and this is such a true adage. The knowledge gained through books can change the world, says the Prime Minister. And good on you, Mr. Prime Minister. Excellent. Such a uh, such a fantastic thing because, like we've said a billion times on this show, we encourage you to read as an adult, and we certainly, above all, encourage you to uh, get your kids reading, get them into books, put down the damn handphone and read a book, a real book, one you can hold in your hand and turn the pages and touch and feel it. Um, yeah, that's what it's all about. And by the way, studies have shown if your kid doesn't want to read the book, try and do everything you can to get him to read it. But being read to is just as beneficial as the child reading his or herself. So if you want a way to get your child into reading books, read a book to them, do a bedtime story. Most of the books we do here have been okay for maybe a seven, eight-year-olds and up. We read books on our show in the last half of the program. Uh, we've done The Wizard of Oz, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland, The Little Prince, uh, you name it. We did Winnie the Pooh. Uh, right now we're doing Sherlock Holmes, which again is one that skews a little bit older, but still. Having someone read to your child is equally as important as them reading themselves. Yes, it's critical that your kid learns to read and loves to read and you encourage it. But as a way to get them started, read to them. Why not? It also works. All right. So having said that and having promoted, by the way, if you want to pick up a copy of my book, Willie and the Warthog, the link is in our show notes. Way Scroll way down. You can uh, find a link and pick that up from uh, Amazon. It's available there. Cool. All right, let's get on with it. It is time to move on to the adventures of Sherlock Holmes. We're doing the case of identity. We are just about halfway through. And we continue. I left him, still puffing at his clay black pipe, with the conviction that when I came again on the next evening, I would find that he held in his hands all the clues which would lead up to the identity of the disappearing bridegroom of Miss Mary Sutherland. A professional case of great gravity was engaging my own attention at the time, and the whole next day I was busy at the bedside of the sufferer. It was not until close upon six o'clock when I found myself free and was able to spring into a hansom 
drive to Baker Street. Half afraid I might be too late to assist at the denouncement of the little mystery, I found Sherlock Holmes alone, however, half asleep, with his long, thin form curled up in the recesses of his armchair. A formidable array of bottles, test tubes with the pungent, cleanly smell of hydrochloric acid told me he'd spent his day in the chemical work which was so dear to him. Well, have you solved it? I asked as I entered. Yes. It was the bisulfate of Bartia. No, no, the mystery, I cried. Oh, that. I thought of the salt that I'd been working upon. Uh, there was never any mystery in the matter, though. As I said yesterday, some of the details are of interest. Uh, the only drawback is there's no law, I fear, that can touch the scoundrel. Who was he, then? And what was his object in deserting Miss Sutherland? The question was hardly out of my mouth, and Holmes had not yet opened his lips to reply when we heard a heavy footfall in the passage and a tap at the door. This is the girl's stepfather, Mr. James Widdebank, said Holmes. He's written to me to say that he would be here at six. Come in. The man who entered was a sturdy, mid-sized fellow, some thirty years of age, clean-shaven, shallow skin, with a bland, insinuating manner, and a pair of wonderfully sharp and penetrating gray eyes. He shot a questioning glance at each of us, placed his shiny top hat upon the sideboard, and, with a slight bow, sidled down to the nearest chair. "'Good evening, Mr. James Winterbank said Holmes. I think that this typewritten letter is from you, in which you make an appointment with me for six o'clock. Uh, yes, sir. I I'm afraid I'm a little late, but uh, I'm not quite my own master. You know, I, I am sorry that Miss Sutherland has troubled you about this little matter, for I think it is far better not to wash linen of the sort in public. It was quite against my wishes that she came, but she is very excitable, impulsive girl, as you may have noticed, and she's not easily controlled when she's made up her mind to a point. Of course, I didn't mind you so much as you are not connected with the official police, but it's not pleasant to have a family misfortune like this nosied about. Besides, it's a useless expense, for how could you possibly find this Hosmer? angel. Mr. Widdebank gave a violent start and dropped his gloves. On the contrary, Holmes said quietly, I have every reason to believe that I will succeed in discovering Mr. Hosmer Angel. Well, I'm delighted to hear it, he said. It's a curious thing, remarked Holmes that a typewriter has really quite so much individuality as a man's handwriting. Unless they're quite new, no two of them write exactly alike. Some letters get more worn than others, and some were only on one side. Now, you remark in this note of yours, Mr. Widdebank, that in every case there is something little slurring over the E, and a slight defect in the tail of the R. There are fourteen other characters, but... Those are the more obvious. We do all our correspondence with this machine at the office, and no doubt it is a little worn, 
our visitor answered, glancing keenly at Holmes with his bright little eyes. And now I will show you what is really a very interesting study, Mr. Winterbank, Holmes continued. I think of writing another little monograph some of these days on the typewriter and its relation to a crime. It is a subject to which I have devoted some little attention. I have here four letters which purport to come from the missing man. They're all typewritten. In each case, not only are the E's slurred and the R's tailless, but you will observe, if you care to use my magnifying lens, the fourteen other characteristics to which I have alluded to are there as well. Mr. Widdebanks sprang out of his chair and picked up his hat. I cannot waste time over this sort of fantastic talk, Mr. Holmes, he said. If you can catch the man, catch him, and let me know when you've done it. Certainly, said Holmes, stepping over and turning the key in the door. I'll let you know, then, that I have caught him. What? Where? shouted Mr. Winterbank, turning white to his lips and glancing about him like a rat in a trap. Oh, it really won't do. Really, it won't, said Holmes suavely. There is no possibility of getting out of it, Mr. Winterbank. It is quite too transparent, and it was a very bad compliment when you said that it was impossible for me to solve a simple question. That's right. Sit down, and let's talk it over. Our visitor collapsed into a chair with a ghastly face and a glitter of moisture on his brow. It, it's not actionable, he stammered. I'm very much afraid that it's not. But between ourselves, Widdebank, it was as cruel and selfish and heartless a trick in a petty way as ever came before me. Now, let me just run over the course of events, and you will contradict me if I go wrong. The man sat huddled up in his chair, with his head sunk upon his breast, like one who is utterly crushed. Holmes stuck his feet up in the corner of the mantelpiece and leaned back with his hands in his pocket. Began talking rather to himself, it seemed, than to us. The man married a woman very much older than himself for her money, said he. He enjoyed the use of the money of the daughter as long as she lived with them was a considerable sum for people in their position, and the loss of it would have made a serious difference. It was worth an effort to preserve it. The daughter was of a good, amiable disposition, but affectionate and heartwarming in her ways, and so it was evident that, her, with, that with her fair personal advantage and her little income, she would not be allowed to remain single long. Now, her marriage would mean, of course, the loss of a hundred a year, so... What does her stepfather do to prevent it? He takes the obvious course of keeping her at home and forbidding her to seek the company of people of her own age. But soon he found that he would not answer forever. She became resistive, insisted on her rights, and finally announced her positive intention of going to a certain ball. And what does her clever stepfather do then? he conceives an idea more creditable to his head than to his heart. 
With the convenience and connivance and assistance of his wife, he disguises himself, covered those keen eyes with tinted glasses, masked the face with a mustache and a pair of bushy whiskers, sunk that clear voice into an insinuating whisper, and doubtly secured an account of the girl's short sight, he appears as Mr. Hosmer Angel, and keeps off other lovers by making love himself. It was only a joke at first, groaned the visitor. We never thought she would have been so carried away. Very likely not. However, that may be the young lady was very decidedly carried away, and having quite made up her mind that her stepfather was in France, the suspicion of treachery never for an instant entered her mind. She was flattered by the gentleman's attentions, and the effect was increased by the loudly expressed admiration of her mother. Then Mr. Angel began to call, for it was obvious that the matter should be pushed as far as it would go, if a real effect were to be produced. There were meetings and engagement which would finally secure the girl's affections from turning toward anyone else, but this, this deception could not be kept up forever. These pretended journeys to France were rather cumbrous. The thing to do was clearly to bring the business to an end in such a dramatic manner it would leave a permanent impression upon the young lady's mind and prevent her from looking upon any suitor for some time to come. Hence these vows of fidelity exacted upon a testament and hence also upon the illusions of a possibility of something happening on the very morning of the wedding. James Widdebank wished Miss Sutherland to be so bound to Hosmer Angel, and was so uncertain as to his fate, that for ten years to come, at any rate, she would not listen to another man. As far as the church door, she brought her, and then he could go no further. He conveniently vanished away by the old trick of stepping in at one door of a four-wheeler and out at the other. I think that was the chain of events, Mr. Widdebank. Our visitor had recovered something of his assurance while Holmes had been talking, and he rose from his chair now with a cold sneer upon his pale face. It may be so, or it may not, Mr. Holmes. But if you're so very sharp, you ought to be sharp enough to know that it is you who is breaking the law now, not me. I've done nothing actionable from the first. But as long as you keep that door locked, you lay yourself open to an action for assault and illegal constraint. The law cannot, as you say, touch you, said Holmes, unlocking and throwing open the door. Yet there never was a man who deserved punishment more. If the young lady has a brother or a friend, he ought to lay a whip across your shoulders, by Jove, he continued, flushing up at the sight of the bitter sneer upon the man's face. It is not part of my duties to my client, but here is a hunting crop handy, and I think I shall just treat myself to... He took two swift steps to the whip, but before he could grasp it, there was a wild clatter of steps upon the stairs. The heavy hall door banged, and from the window he could see Mr. James Widdebank running at the top of his speed down the road. There is a cold 
cold-blooded scoundrel, said Holmes, laughing, as he threw himself down upon the chair once more. That fellow will rise from crime to crime until he does something very bad and ends up on a gallows. The case has, in some respects, not entirely been devoid of interest. I cannot now entirely see all the steps of your reasoning, I remarked. Well, of course it was obvious from the first that Miss Hos Mr. Hosmer Angel must have some strong object for his curious contact. It was equally clear the only man who'd really profited by the incident, as far as we could see, was the stepfather. Then the fact the two men were never together, but the one always appeared when the other was away, was suggestive. So, so were the tinted spectacles and the curious voice, which both hinted at a disguise, as did the bushy whiskers. My suspicions were all confirmed by his peculiar action in this typewriter and his signature, which, of course inferred his handwriting was so familiar to her she'd recognize even the smallest sample of it. You see, all these isolated facts, together with many minor ones, all pointed in the same direction. And how did you verify them? Having once spotted my man, it was easy to get cooperation. I knew the firm for which the man worked. Having taken the printed description, I eliminated everything from it which could be the result of a disguise. The whiskers, the glasses, the voice, and I sent it to the firm with a request that they would inform me whether it answered the description of any of their travelers. I had already noticed the peculiarities of the typewriter, and I wrote to the man himself at his business address, asking him if he would come here. As I expected, his reply was typewritten, and revealed the same trivial but characteristic defects. The same post brought me a letter from West House and Marbank of Fenchurch Street to say that the description tallied in every respect to that of their employee, James Widdebank. Voilà tout. And Miss Sutherland? If I tell her, she will not believe me. You may remember that the old Persian sang, There is danger for him who taketh the tiger cub, and danger also for whoso snatches a delusion from a woman. There is as much sense in Hafiz as in Horace, and as much knowledge of the world. <laughs> and that's the conclusion of the case of identities. This is uh, Rank Squid. What's the title? It is uh, Sherlock Holmes, The Adventures, the original Adventures of Sherlock Holmes. And we're reading it kind of a part of a chapter at a time as we go through. We'll be doing uh, starting chapter four in our next stream, which is called The Boscombe Valley Mystery. And we will have that for you coming up next time on The Jay Sheldon Show. Thank you for. Uh, popping in, checking it out. We do read classic books. We've done a ton of them. Go all the way back if you want. Check it out. You see a lot of reading streams popping up. Really? Well, we've been doing this for a couple of years now, 223 episodes or something, I think, something like that. So anyway, yeah, we do all the classics here, and uh, we've done The Wonderful Wizard of Oz, Little Prince, 
uh, Winnie the Pooh, Peter Pan, Alice in Wonderland. We've done a ton of them. They're all there in our past library of shows. You can check them out. If it's easier for you, you can also check out our podcast. Same show, just the audio part of our show, which is available on anywhere you find your podcast. Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Stitcher. And uh, yeah, we love some Sherlock Holmes. Cool. Glad you liked it. Thank you. And we will continue on reading. We're on uh, live every Monday, Wednesday, and Saturday. Normally, we are live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitch.tv, and Rumble. Tonight, a little broadcast problem on Rumble and YouTube, so we'll upload the video recording of our show uh, coming up later on tonight or tomorrow morning. So we'll check it out then. All right, guys, that's it for now. Thank you so much for uh, popping in saying hello. I will see you again on uh, Saturday night. Same time, same channel. Until then, have yourself a great great rest of the week. And uh, yeah, I'm Jay Sheldon. Good night. <laughs>